Are you at your point where you think you've hit your bottom or maybe that there's just no way you're ever going to feel like things can change? I was like that. I really was. And I want you to know, my name is Bromo, by the way. I want you to know that there is a way out. Please join us for my podcasts. Well, hey, my name is Bromo. How is it going? It is the 25th of January, foggy here in Bismarck, which we've had a lot of fog lately. And uh, someone once told me when I was living in Minot, Minot, North Dakota, they said, if you get fog, 45 days later, a blizzard comes. I'm still wondering if that is accurate or not. I guess we'll see, right? This is There Is A Way Out. This is episode number nine already. And once again, my sobriety day is 2-17-09. Yes, I'm coming up on 15 years. I can't wait. Should I get there? We always have to say that. And I know sometimes people say, why do you say that? Well, we take each day as we come, right? And that's kind of the way it is with life anyway. But here's the thing. I don't have a uh, certificate. I'm not a doctor or anything. You've heard me say this before. There is a way out for me is uh, my uh, hope is for anyone who feels they may be on on the verge of uh, taking alcohol to that next step or addiction to the next step. Maybe they feel they have a problem. Maybe they feel that there's no way they can stop or they have a family member or a friend member. This is what it's designed for. I'm hoping that you'll listen to it. This is my strength, hope, and experience. I have, like I said, almost 15 years experience in this. I was many times at the point where I thought there's no way in heck I could ever stop. I left you last episode where I just finished the 28-day Spend Dry Hospital. that I, We call it Spend Dry. 28-day rehab. McDonald's. Scripps McDonald's Center. You know, I'm not even sure if it's still there anymore. Yes, it was a hospital. The rooms were nice. I had a roommate. Food was good. And um, we had music therapy and all of that. I get out of my 28-day stent with a letter and recommendations from my counselors, which I told you earlier, I lied to my mom saying that the counselors said this and this and this and that I was okay to go back home. Amazing that I was able to lie like that because I didn't want to go to the trouble of or I was scared to find another place to live uncharted territory for me I wanted to go back home which was stupid obviously and that's right where I drank and all of that so I'm back home and in my little routine I've got a week to go before uh, I am clear to go back to work I got the handwritten letter by my counselor like I said and I've now had a whole lot of idle time. Idle time on your hands is deadly when you are facing an addiction, when you are going through it. And that's what I was doing, idle time. Spent a lot of time, boy, drinking coffee and energy drinks, which I'm not that fond of. And I remember as I forced myself literally to go to meetings because I hated them so much. Uh, I knew that I had to go, and so I was going through the motions, exactly going through the motions. I think one time I lasted maybe a half hour. I'd go to the same one. I'd walk from Mission Beach to the AA meeting, which was upstairs in this cool little place. Didn't really go out of my way to meet anybody. Didn't really want to meet anybody. I didn't seek a sponsor like uh, 
a few people told me that I needed to do. I was still staying in touch with some people from work, but boy, they were they were not happy with me because remember this is the the this is I have bombed out already twice. Both times I went to the outpatient, bombed out. And then I went to Scripps. So they weren't too happy to have me back, but I was cleared. And I remember one of the days just being in a complete fog, listening to trying to listen to people talk, but my mind was wandering, going somewhere else. I was in a funk. I really was. I wasn't excited about my state of life at all because you know why? I missed it. I really missed when it used to be fun to drink, when it used to be easy, when there was no pressure, when I was able to handle it as far as my body is concerned. So leading up to the last day that I drank and went on a two or three day run, I was miserable. I really was. And this is how I relapsed for the very last time. Coming up on February 14th, uh, Valentine's Day, I'm looking out the window and I'm hearing all these people walking around because it's a pretty young scene where I grew up, where I lived. I'm listening to people walking down the, through the streets. I'm looking out my window and seeing people holding 12 packs and this and that. And they're all, they're all experiencing the joy of Valentine's night. And I looked at my stupid croissant, half-eaten croissant, and my energy drink, which was just laying there. And I looked at my keys, and this little voice said, come on, dude, you've now been sober for over a month. If you do the math, you know, I had that 28-day stent under me, successfully completed at that hospital. Now I was working on 35, something, something like that days, 35, maybe almost 40 days clean. I even went and got a chip at the place that I did detox at, and there was a meeting there, and everybody was telling me how proud they were of me and how great I looked. Holding that chip, I wasn't that thrilled. I really wasn't. My whole attitude was, I want to drink again, but I couldn't tell anybody that. Everyone's telling me with their cup of coffee and their cigarettes, they're puffing on how great sobriety was, and man, I didn't want any part of it. I lied and told him I did, I still wanted another chance to think that I could drink again. Like they say in the book, to drink like a gentleman. Maybe this time I'll get it. So it was Valentine's night, and it was in the afternoon. And I looked over, and I saw my keys. And a little voice popped in my head again. And that voice said, come on. Come on, Bromwell, you've been doing great. You've been going to meetings? Yeah, but have you really stayed? Shut up. This is the bad voice talking. You're going, you go to meetings? Yeah, but you don't really stay for the, shut up. But you don't really stay for the whole meeting? Shut up. You deserve a chance to see if you can drink like a gentleman and relax. Everybody else drinks around you. Why, why are they able to cope with life and you're not? Why do they have a shut off valve and you don't? So why don't you grab those keys, dude? And let's walk down the street, way down the street where there's a liquor store that nobody knows or maybe nobody's seen you go in there. Once again, we'll have to go through the alleyway so no one sees me. Why don't you brown bag it? Why don't you buy a tall, a tall, big, huge, tall beer? Maybe a couple of them and see how you do, all right? 
Don't do it. Don't do it. You're going to ruin everything. You're going to be right back where you... No, don't listen to him, dude. You're fine. Get those keys. Shouldn't you go to a meeting and... Shut up with that. He's fine. Get those keys. I got those keys. And as soon as I got those keys, and as soon as I walked out the front door, in my mind, I had relapsed. You better believe it. I had one mission, one mission only to go and see how those two big tall cans of beers I was going to buy was going to do to my body. Do it. You're going to do it. You're going to come back. You're going to have a normal dinner. You're going to wake up tomorrow, probably have another day off. And maybe you can have another beer. Not a good idea. Well, the evil voice won out. I walked to a liquor store far away. Found a couple of tall boy beers. Came back. Sat on my bed. Looked at it. And looked at it. And maybe weighed the consequences of it. For a second or two until I clicked it and opened it. Took my first sip. And as hokey as this sounds, I started crying. After that first sip, I started crying. Remember, no, in my mind, I had already relapsed walking to the store. But this time, I actually did it physically. I started crying because I knew, I knew that all the horrible effects were coming. I also knew that there are no way in hell was I going to be able to drink like a gentleman? No way. Wasn't possible. So that was Valentine's that I had relapsed from my whatever it was, 40 days sober. Remember now, 40 days sober was huge for me. That's probably, that's why the evil voice thought I had it, I had it made. You got it. But the other voice, the 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 voice of sense and reason knew that I was just fooling myself and that voice lost. So as I'm sipping into my first beer, we'll speed up time a little bit. The next day rolls around, and I'm right back where I was, man. Yeah. Got into my car and pretended like I was going to a meeting, which I probably maybe did for about five minutes and then went over and found another liquor store that uh, nobody around knew me, and then I filled up my cooler And I went right back, I went right back to my room, to the hell of doing all that. Here's the crazy thing. In that time frame, when I got released from the hospital, before I relapsed on that Valentine's, and I was drinking my coffee and the phone rang, so I pushed mute. I pushed mute right when they were swearing in Obama for our president his first time around right when he was taking the podium and the phone rang and it was my work and it was the human resource department telling me that I had just been laid off let go and she told me some details about how they'll send me some material and they'll send me this and send me that through the mail and as I was shocked listening to her I asked, does this have anything to do with my disease? She goes, oh, no, no, your name was on a list about three months ago. This was iHeart letting me go back in 2008 or whenever, 2009. 
uh, that they were letting me go. So I'll tell you, in a, in a wacky way, that kind of uh, relieved a little bit of pressure because I was kind of getting scared to go back to work to face all the people that I had let down for the third time or whatever. So now I've been let go. And uh, fast forward to when I relapsed on Valentine's. I did that for a couple of days, but my body said enough. My body did not want to go back to the norm. My body said, you can't take it anymore. My body said, man, you're going, you're soaking all this in that you've been doing forever. You took that little break. It's awesome that it's back, but the shakes now were worse than ever. The shakes were worse than ever, and I was really despondent, and I was really hurting. I knew my... I knew now I was about ready to go with a phase two, which was swirling down to my bottom. I knew my bottom was coming. Now, was that going to mean that that was going to bring death? As dramatic as I'm making it, maybe. So here's what happened. I'm sitting there in the afternoon, and I'd blown off an opportunity to go out and uh, be with my sister who was in town. She had tried to call me. And I probably, the first time she called me a couple of days before, had said, yeah, let's make plans to do that. A couple of days later, she's trying to call me when I've relapsed and I'm not answering the phone to anybody. So she's worried. Understandably so. She's worried because no one's, no one's been able to get a hold of me. My mom was trying to call me. I wasn't answering my phone. So my stepbrother says, well, I know where he lives. I'm going to go out there and see what's going on. He went out there and unbelievably so, while he's trying to get into my house, a police car drives by. He hails the police car over. He stops it. The police jumps up onto the second floor over the railing and opens the sliding glass door. And there I am basically on the third floor where all of our rooms are, and I'm staring down at the floor with these empty medicine bottles all around me on this cardboard desk. No kidding. I had a cardboard that I used to put my clock on and such right next to my bed. There's all these medicine bottles that are empty laying there on their sides, and I hear this... Bromo, Bromo, it's your stepbrother. Open the door. And I opened the door, and there was there were the police, there were paramedics. They came in, and I was so weak, and so wounded, and so floored with rejection and uh, misery because of I had failed once again. I had failed everybody. I had failed myself. For all of those that were about. about to find out that I had relapsed again. I had lied to them. I had failed them. They took me, first of all, they were alarmed that they saw all the medicine bottles. They asked me if I was trying to kill myself. And I said, no, I just ran out of my medicine and I haven't renewed them. These were blood pressure pills, by the way. So they put me, they laid me down and they took me to the hospital. And at this point, My blood pressure probably was 200 over 1,000. It was so bad that whistles were going. 
whistles were sounding, buzzers were alerting. They had me uh, strapped to my bed so I couldn't move. And they had told me, they said, you're in the perfect spot to stroke out. And I don't know how I got through that first night, but it was bad. I remember I was so weak the second day that a, a nurse had to help me walk around the floor just to get a little action going. So now I wake up and I'm facing the fact that, A, my body is beaten up to hell, barely making it through this little stent. B, now what do I do? At this point, a friend of mine who I knew from the radio station, she came out and she visited me. And she and her boyfriend said, look, enough is enough. Let's look in to see what we can do. We need to take you somewhere. And they took me, they tried to take me back to the old McDonald's Center, the place that I was just at, the 28-day spin dry. And they said to me, look, no offense, but we don't take retreads back then. (laughs) You were just here. Your bed's barely warm. We can't take you back. Sorry. But the great thing is, the one thing the first step in really saving my life was a guy there named Dave. And he said, look, I know of a place. And he told my friend and I this. He says, this is a place 35 miles east of San Diego. It's way out there. It's rough. But I think th- I think this place, which has saved many, many lives, I think this place will save your life. So let me let, let me see what I can do. And then he gave us some information. He told me uh, a couple of names out there. He told me I needed to go out and fill out an application. It was called the Freedom Ranch. It was out in a place called Campo. Campo is dirty, dusty, and nothing going on out there. And like I said, it was a 35-mile drive from where I was staying at the time because when I got out of that hospital, there ain't no way I was going back to my room. My friends said, you're going to come stay with us. These angels said, you're going to come stay with us. And you're not going back to that room. You're not going back to Mission Beach. I was able to get my cat. My cats, I believe I had two at the time. I was able to get my cats. I went over and got a couple of things and went and moved into this house. Drove out to Freedom Ranch with my stepbrother. And in that drive out there, as I'm getting closer to this place that's out in the middle of nowhere, as we pull into this dirty lot, I look over and I see all these big, huge guys with tattoos, smoking cigarettes, and playing horseshoes. I was scared. And I said to my stepbrother, I don't belong here. What am I doing? And he goes, I think you do. So I got out of the car and met a couple of really nice people. I filled out an application. I was now put on a list where I was going to call in every other day to see if a bed was available. And while we were there, we took in a meeting. And the meeting was in this really cool uh, place, uh, an, like a clubhouse that that seated all of the Freedom Ranch people who were living there, all the 40 guys and enough room for other visitors that wanted to come out. 
And while we watched a meeting, somebody came over and said, you guys going to have dinner? And so we hung around and we had dinner with, with uh, some of the members of the people that were staying there. Driving back to the house that I was now staying at, this beautiful house, I was saying to myself, hey, no way I'm going to live here. <laughs> what am I going to do? I sure hope I don't get that call. Because remember now, remember now, I was on a list and I was told to call every other day. Every other day you make that call, which would be I'd call in around 930. Who's this? This is Dave. All right, hang on, Dave. I'm sitting there going, please don't. Please, no, 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 no. And then he'd come back on. Not today, pal. But hang in there. It's going to happen soon. I'm like, oh, darn it. Okay, thank you. And I hang up the phone and I'm like, yes. You see another day where I can stay in this beautiful house and do nothing. But remember now, I'm away. These two that I stayed with, obviously, they're in the program too. They didn't drink at all. So I am sober. And I was taken to some meetings, sitting through the whole thing and telling my story. But there was no booze around. I didn't have a car. So I was completely shut off. I couldn't walk to a liquor store. Now, did my mind still want to drink? Yes. But now I'm accepting the fact that I'm about ready to go into a recovery home called Freedom Ranch, which is a 120-day facility or longer. And I have to make that call every other day. Well, I made that call maybe three weeks later. Was put on hold and the guy says, hey, can you be here at 11 this morning? Yeah. Come on in. Freedom Ranch awaits you. And let me tell you my thoughts on going to the Freedom Ranch. I was scared to death. I was on my way to my first recovery home. In my next episode, I'll tell you how the Freedom Ranch was my first step to saving my life. This is There Is A Way Out. My name is Bromo. Thank you so much for listening to this. Remember, if you think you have a problem, there is a way out.